Thank you very much once more for the opportunity to share with you. Um, I could say that I asked Andrew a little late if we could be any help this weekend, perhaps because our memory of coming around holiday club time, or perhaps it was the time before, no sooner had I asked him if I could be any help than you had a week of six funerals, as I remember. So actually it turned out that the Lord was ahead of us in that possibility. But I'm delighted to be here and delighted to spend a few minutes unpacking this beautiful image of Jesus as our priest, our high priest, the one who fully represents God on the one hand and is fully a human being on the other and therefore is uniquely qualified to bring us together. Psalm 110 does take us back. What's the vision of the priest in Psalm 110? Well, it's focused on verse 4. You are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You might remember that when we get to the letter to the Hebrews, no one knows who wrote that letter, by the way, for sure at least, but it's kind of a, a sermon on the Psalms particularly Psalm 95, but also 110 and other Psalms along the way, unpacking what is promised in those Psalms. Melchizedek takes us right back almost to the beginning, to Genesis 18. Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, which becomes eventually Jerusalem. Salem Peace in Arabic, salam in Arabic, sorry, salam in Hebrew, peace in Arabic, salam. And there's a, a long silence about this mysterious character's life, but he is clearly a pointer to the one who is to come, which Hebrews talks about in chapter 7. This priest stands, as it were, on the God side of Abraham, blessing Abraham, giving gifts to Abraham, and receiving offerings, the tithes, from Abraham, as it were, for God. He proves this Melchizedek, therefore, that he has priority over Abraham's people, the Levites, the priests, and all that system, oh, by the way, I love that system. When you read the details in Leviticus, I think it is, it tells you how long the Levites and the priests had to work. They weren't allowed to start full time until they were 25 and they were compulsorily retired at 50. I'm thinking, I'll settle for a job like that. That's a good deal. You could help afterwards, but you couldn't do it as your main line. I guess some others of us might want to sign up for that. Levites, priests, and all of them was the system designed to bring sacrifice, to try to open the way, for a time at least, between people and God. But so far back in Genesis, this character, mysterious character, Melchizedek, arrives. And it turns out he is the priest, but he's also the king, king of righteousness, king 
of Salem. Those two jobs, if you like, those two key roles, which run right through the Old Testament into the New Testament through Jesus, they are united already in this character. And Melchizedek, we'll hear, is a priest and a king forever. And Jesus is in that line. Fast forward a bit, and David, King David, took Jerusalem to bring the two kingdoms together. Imagine on the mainland that we're arguing between England and Scotland. Not a very familiar scenario, of course, as we know. Um, but there was a time when Berwick-upon-Tweed was the capital for a while, trying to pull the country together. Can you imagine how clever a move that might be? It would get us out of all the London stuff. It would get us out of all the Edinburgh stuff. And we could make a fresh start in Berwick-on-Tweed. I don't know what the burghers of Berwick would think about that. But that's the kind of thing that David did with Jerusalem, to bring the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom together from their distances, from their old ways of doing things. Let's make a new start. David does that. He is therefore described as king of Salem and he follows as king and there is a priesthood and in a sense he leads his people because so many of the Psalms are poems and songs that bring people to God. They say that the rest of the Bible speaks to us but the Psalms speak for us because they give us words to say when we don't know what to say. At the best of times, and frankly the most terrifying of times, for which we've already been praying. So far, so good, it looks. But by the time you get to Psalm 110, if you have time later, read the psalm before, Psalm 109. It's about a blazingly holy God stating the consequences of us doing our own thing. That's called sin with a capital S. I'm the king of me, not God. And I do what I like to do, right? I do what I feel I should do, right? Well, by the time these psalms come, that's massively the wrong thing to do. And God pronounces his judgment in the psalm before. He has tears in his eyes as he does so. But we, by the time we get to Psalm 110, we're in a difficult spot because we can't fix this anymore. But like the division between them, I, I couldn't fix this for the groups. They don't know me well enough. They don't trust me well enough. Ah, but Emily could bring them together. God's tearful eyes lead him to make provision to bring people together. Oh, that old priestly sacrificial system of animals continues. But itself, it reveals the problem. You can do it this week, but it won't do for next week. You can do it this month, it won't do for next month. You can do it this year, it won't do for next year. You have to keep doing it. No matter how often you do it. And the other problem is, the priests, even the high priest... Is not a perfect person. And they die. So you have to keep going. And that's where Psalm 110 makes such a powerful impact. Here is a vision of a splendid, holy, beautiful, 
perfect character who brings a totally new beginning in relationship with himself and amongst human beings and within our own heads and between us and the creation. Every dimension is touched and changed by this remarkable character. If you look at verse 3, it uh, says something like the dew from the morning's womb and the translators struggle with it. It could mean the womb of the dawn. In other words, a beautiful new start. We have a young baby amongst us. An amazing new start. A terrifying moment, but a, a deeply joyful and so powerful moment. It's that kind of sense that you get in this psalm. A new beginning which is going to last forever. An eternal priest who provides rescue for us, which is forever eternal. I wonder if you felt when we did the little exercise with the children and young people, um, well, maybe, do we need a priest, really? Oh, you're Baptists, I'm an Episcopalian. We, we have priests, it's the wrong name, we should be presbyters, I think. But uh, never mind, um, and our Catholic friends have them massively. Um, but uh, Psalm 110 is about the Lord... This beautiful figure who steps in to deal with things where we can't. But it is in the context of conflict. That's why it is a difficult one to read. There are some powerful images in that psalm. But yes, we really do need a priest. We do really need someone in between us. Someone who brings us and God's together. Someone who uh, really makes a repair that will last forever. Something that we cannot achieve, that will be achieved for us. Someone who can bridge the gap, as we sang in that lovely song before the children went to their groups. Someone who speaks for us and achieves the forgiveness that we cannot achieve ourselves. And yeah, the language of verse 5 and 6 of that psalm is shocking language. But actually, you know what? It rings bells here and now. Those terrible images we are seeing. We've seen them in Ukraine and Russia. We're seeing them now in Gaza and Israel. They are dreadful, dreadful images. And this psalm knows about that. God is ahead of us even in the dreadful things. We might ask, what does God have to do with all that? Well, everything actually is the answer. Without God, with the best will in the world, we cannot fix ourselves. That's why our ministry, even in a smaller congregation, is absolutely vital in praying for this situation. Praying for peace with people who do not want peace, who want to fight this thing to the death, who want to finish it at last. It's a terrifying scenario. Who will get caught up in this? Well, one way and another, we're all involved in it. But it's still the right thing to pray for peace to the one who alone can bring peace. That's what our Middle East friends are telling us at the moment from Bethlehem, from Nazareth, from Gaza, from Lebanon, from Jordan, from Egypt. Pray for a peace, a peace that is a just peace, but a peace. And what will happen in the long run? Only the Lord knows. Christmas is cancelled in Palestine, in Jordan this time round. 
Uh, I think that means they're not doing the decorations, they're not doing the bling. Uh, their celebrations will be very muted uh, because of what is going on at the moment and the uncertainty that they're living with. Yet the Christmas message is more powerful almost than ever in this kind of dreadful scenario. Think of Matthew 1, 23, taken from Isaiah chapter 17. Another conflict time. The message is Emmanuel. God is with us in the best of times and the worst of times. He has come from the heavenly place to be amongst us in the person of Jesus to speak, as it were, the language of human personality, so that anyone in any language, in any setting, at any time, can know God for themselves, because God took the initiative to be the priest through Jesus. That's the thrust of it. This Christmas message will be so much more powerful for many people as a result of what's going on. This is our priest. Of course, it is Jesus. It's uh, an easy answer. Who is this priest who is anticipated? Well, of course, the answer is Jesus. You know, it reminds me of the uh, earnest um, children's talker who described with great uh, perfection uh, an animal, furry, with long floppy ears. And, and somebody, and he said, and who do you think I'm talking about? And somebody at the back says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a rabbit to me. <laughs> Of course our priest is Jesus, fully human, fully one of us, fully God, pulling the two together, the God who is with us. Eugene Peterson, in his more open personal translation of John chapter 1 verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that good? Imagine, uh, after 35 years in Edinburgh, uh, we are still incomers, don't you know? Uh, we don't like the English, but we don't mean you. That's what they sometimes say. Uh, but imagine our message. Uh, the word became an elah. The word is revealed amongst the elahs by the congregations on elah, the Lord's people. What a lovely image, isn't it? So Hebrews, by the time we get there, tells us the story looking back, whereas the psalm tells us the story looking forward. I love the comment of the Irish Old Testament commentator. He was also an Anglican minister, Alec Matia. And of course, like some of our Anglican friends, he was a train buff as well. And he said, as he studied the Old Testament and he wrote many commentaries on the Psalms and on Isaiah about the Old Testament, he said the Hebrews always traveled with their backs to the engine. In other words, you try to make sense of it and it's going forwards and you always like to sit looking forwards, but it's whizzing past and you can't quite catch it. But if you stop and turn around and look back, ah, oh, then you see what God has intended all along. Then you see how the streams come together. Then you see how the picture begins to make sense. So, Hebrews 10, as Helen read, here is who. Here is why Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted psalms 
in the New Testament. Here is the priest who offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, ending that animal system forever and replacing it with himself. What a fabulous story to tell. And then we're told he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. His rescue work done, like the king in Psalm 110, verse 1. And he, we're told, astonishingly, has made us perfect in the eyes of God forever through himself. So now when God looks at us, for all our faults and failings, and remember, remember, we're all mixed up and the wrong side of heaven. I am an Episcopalian, right? For all that, when God looks on us now, as we trust in his Christ, God sees Jesus, as it were, protecting us. The lens through whom he sees us. He made us perfect before God forever through himself. Yeah, of course, we're not there yet. We are work in progress. We are here living this out. And that's where I'm going to ask Helen to read just a little bit more of Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. And I want you to listen very carefully because I have something for us to do afterwards as we finish together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Thank you. Did you notice the phrase that was repeated? Anybody got it? Let us. Now, I don't know why the kids should have all the fun. So while they're not here, we can have a little bit of fun. You will find underneath chairs here five lettuces printed on card. Would you like to have a rummage underneath? They're only underneath the seats and they've, they've only got a little bit of uh, blue tack holding them. So if you find one, would you mind coming and joining me? Put, have a good feel. Um, there's two over on the right-hand side and there's three over on the left-hand side. And then we'll see if we can get them in order. And then we'll see what we learn about how we are to be 
to be the kind of priests that the Lord wants us. Have you found them? Anybody got one? How many have we got? One, two, three. There's two more. It may be where the baby's sitting, actually, one of them. So have a rummage under the seat there. If you've got one, do you mind coming out and joining me? Well done, you've got one. Well done. Would you like to come and join me? See if we can get them in order. Yes, there it is. You were sitting on it all the time. Very good. Out you come. So uh, one is from verse 22, right? The first one. Who's got, you've got 22. Who's got 23? There's two from 24 and one from 25, right? So I'm going to ask our friends, if they don't mind reading... These five lettuces, these are about how we should respond to this message. How we should be amongst one another in order to be the priests who go out and about in the whole world, bringing people together and bringing God and people together. On you go. Okay, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. There's the first one. Don't be afraid. You are welcome in God's presence. What a powerful invitation. Next. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hope is in such short supply in our world, isn't it? And we have hope through Christ. Hope of that relationship. Hope of that rescue. Hope that that can change anywhere and anything. Thank you. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Yes, indeed. So we're responsible for each other. To give each other a prod every so often, to encourage each other, to love one another, to love people, especially those we don't like, and to love God supremely, and to do good things for them and to them and with them. That's what it comes to. And? Let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay. Very good. So that's the horizon. Can I hold on to that for a second? You've got the second half of verse 24, I think. Mm. Oh, it's 25 you've got. The, uh, it's 2 and 25. Not give up. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Sorry, I, I misled you. There are 2 in 25, not 2 in 24. Well done. So, uh, but let us not give up meeting together. Of course, I'm speaking to the people who aren't here, aren't I, really? But you get the point, don't you? There are lots of reasons why we might give up meeting together. But we're called to be together now in this new relationship which has been forged by the high priest, Jesus himself. So let's encourage each other. And as we do... Let us, the last one. Let us. No, the one before, the one after that. Let us encourage one another. Oh, you got that. That's twenty-four. Oh well, I've I've misprinted it. Never mind. Let us encourage. Say it again. Let us encourage one another. All the more as you see the day. And there's the horizon, that one day this priest will come not only as a baby amongst us, God with us. But he will come as the Lord of all, the judge of everyone, the one who knows the whole story and all the reasons and can be trusted to judge justly. We usually give the kids a clap. Let's give our friends a clap, shall we? <laughs> well done. You can keep the lettuces. <laughs> so let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for this very rich theme. 
Thank you that you are our supreme priest. You have brought us into the presence of the living God. You have assured us that we are welcome. And you have called us to take that message to those amongst whom we live and work and have our being. We rejoice and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.